This is Comic Shenanigans, episode 618, flashback to Daredevil Yellow. Welcome to the Comic Shenanigans Podcast. I'm your host, Adam Chapman. This is episode 618, Flashback to Daredevil Yellow. Um, so with these flashback episodes that I periodically do, I like to pick something off my shelf that I have kind of a, a personal connection to or kind of reminds me of a certain time of my life and like to kind of talk about what was going on when that book first came out and uh, you know what kind of makes it important to me and, and uh, something that kind of matters uh, in my kind of comic book uh, timeline. Uh, so today I want to talk about Daredevil Yellow. Uh, Daredevil Yellow is a book I've always enjoyed. Um, I guess it originally came out in 2002. It doesn't quite seem right to me. I don't know why I thought that was a different period, but um, I know it did start in 2001. It's an amazing, it's an amazing story. I mean, it's a very simple story. Um, it's a, a brilliantly, brilliantly illustrated. Um, some of the best. It just it's it's so different, especially it, it just stands aside from so many other books, and it's the beginning of. Uh, a really kind of monumental, well-known, well-remembered series of books that uh, Jeff Loeb wrote uh, with Tim Sale, um, and this was this was kind of you know the beginning. This is when it, where it all kind of started. Um, Daredevil Yellow is again a, a, a tremendous book. Um, it's you know it, again it was an interesting time. If you go back to two thousand and one, like you know the uh, Daredevil had been kind of resurrected. Uh, I believe it was originally a Marvel Knights title. Now my memory's not as not as good as it used to be, um, but I believe it was originally a Marvel Knights title. Yes, it was. Um, so I mean, if you go back to two thousand and one when this came out, um, it was not long after you had Marvel Knights kind of redefined what Marvel Comics was, uh, which would lead to um, Jokosada being the you know the new editor in chief. And I guess at this point, I believe he was the editor in chief of Marvel. Uh, had come over from, you know, just being the head of, or maybe not yet, but he was at least the head of um, uh, Marvel Knights to begin with. And he was a key part, obviously he was the illustrator on uh, Kevin Smith's Daredevil series, uh, which really kind of redefined and brought the character to a new level of prominence. Um, Prior to that, the book kind of ended on a a weird kind of sour note. You had the Flying Blind storyline, which seems to be reviled by most people involved with it, and uh, which was, you know, kind of a weird book to have. Um... And then you had, you know, a, a one-shot that kind of closed out the original Daredevil run. And then you had the Marvel Knights version, which, I mean, if you go back, and, I mean, there's, there's really no contest between the level of detail in the art and the, the colors. Like, there was a vibrancy to what Marvel Knights was doing with Joe Quesada uh, doing on art that just was not matched previously. Um, and a huge thing that happens in that, uh, that first run, which I feel like I can spoil because it's, you know, almost 20 years old... Um, is that you know they killed off a long-standing Daredevil supporting character, Karen Page, which is a fascinating character because of what they've done to her. I mean, she was you know the classic Girl Friday back in the day, and uh, you know the kind of the, the love interest of Matt Murdock, and then she was kind of spun off to you know leave the book and pursue her career in Hollywood, and that was kind of it until years and years later um, in Born Again. Frank Miller brings her back and really brings her to a different depth. So basically showing that she eventually got hooked on drugs, ended up, you know, being being an adult film actress because the actual acting gig didn't quite work out. It was really kind of torn asunder as a character, which, I mean, you talk about fridging. I mean, 
she didn't die, but they definitely really did a lot of dark and dirty things to that character, really just to push Daredevil in different ways. Now, was it a great storyline where it happened in terms of what happened to Matt Murdock? Yes, but uh, what happened to Karen, not so much. Um, and then after that, it's interesting because they, they have the character kind of start to rebuild her life and working at shelters. They kind of rip apart the relationship between her and Matt. Eventually, she you know, uh, ends up working at a... At a radio station has like a, a call-in show. Ends up working for one of Fisk's companies. So a lot of convoluted things end up happening with the character until eventually she's manipulated by Mysterio to thinking that she has AIDS, and eventually is then killed by Bullseye. Um, in just just a heart-wrenching series of scenes from that book. Anyways, that is all important because. Uh, in 2001, you have Daredevil Yellow, which starts again this so-called color series of comics, where Jeff Loeb and Tim Sale have now, I, I believe they've just done four. Uh, they started with Daredevil, then they did Spider-Man, which was probably my favorite of the bunch, but, I mean, they're all really good. Uh, then they followed it up with uh, Hulk Gray, and then in the much, much farther away in time, they they did a couple of two issues, I believe, with Captain America White, until they finally finished it, like, over ten years later. Or something like that. I might be uh, off on some of the timelines. Anyways, what's so interesting... So Daredevil Yellow is a flashback story. So um, what is so thrilling about it is that... I mean, besides the opening page, page or two, and the very ending... Uh, you really don't see Daredevil in the classic red costume. This is him in his, uh, you know, appropriately enough, given the title of the book, his yellow and red costume, which, you know, was not a very long period in the original comics. Um, and here it's a kind of a story of Daredevil's earliest days, or Matt Murdock's earliest days. Um, it's a period piece. They don't really ever say what year it is, but there's a certain style and aesthetic here that's obviously not quite modern. It's, you know, it's it's definitely feels very period. Um and it, it tells the kind of the early days of Daredevil, and so. But what th- he does in all of these books and all of these colored books is that they're all, f- in some way, framed by the character narrating or writing a letter. So here he writes a letter to Karen, even though she's just passed away, as a way of trying to reconcile his feelings. Uh, in, in Spider-Man Blue, he's he's talking to Gwen. Uh, he's not writing it down in a letter, but he's talking to a voice recorder. So there's a lot uh, he, that Jeff Loeb does in that book to take advantage of the idea that you know he's recording on an old kind of clackety you know tape re- tape recorder, and you can that's almost built into the character of the dialogue where he'll he'll be talking and he'll stop and you'll have the click whir or the click whir of the of the um, uh, the cassette recorder. So it, it plays a huge part. And same thing, I, I can't remember exactly with Hulk Gray. It has been a while, but it's kind of framed the same way. And definitely with Steve Rogers writing a letter to Bucky. That one is weirder because it, you know, it, it basically is Cap from a pre-Winter Soldier era writing about Bucky. But it, you know, in terms of where the character is coming from and and how he's interpreting and 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 writing the story and, and writing to himself and writing a story to Bucky, but it's released in a time and place where we all know what happened to Bucky. So it always felt a little odd, like it was almost not in Elseworlds or in, or you know, um, like kind of a what if or something like that. But it definitely felt a little askew because of what we know. Um, whereas this, again, when this was published, Karen Page is dead, and just, you know, stay, it's remarkable. It stayed true to this day, and this is all about a man's attempts to, you know, come to grip with that and remembering when he first met Karen and what the early days of Daredevil were really, really like. And we don't even meet Karen until, I think, the end of the second issue. Like, for a story, it's interesting because just like 
you know, Spider-Man Blue is ostensibly about, a, you know, him falling in love with Gwen, it was just as much just about a period in his life that was she was an instrumental in or became part of it, but she wasn't even, you know, necessarily there right away. Um, this is, so again, I, this would have come out in, 2000, in 2001. I was probably 17, 18 years old, depending on what time of year it came out. Um, again, be- a beautiful book. This is pro- probably one of my first... In, um, Introductions to Tim Sale because I'm not sure when I, like I, I think I'd read the Dark Victory kind of one shot that came with the Wizard comic at one point before this, but I don't think I ever I don't think I read Long Halloween and Dark Victory till after after maybe both of them had already come out, so I kind of missed out on that era. So and Superman for All Seasons, like I probably read that after this as well. So a lot of that really good Jeff Loeb and Tim Sale stuff probably for me as a reader came after having read this. This might have been my first time. I'd have to look at, you know, the different things that Tim Sale has done, but to understand, you know, what I might have come across first. But I feel like it was probably this. I was going to a comic book store, had a pull list, uh, Marvel Knights was big, uh, I was really getting into Daredevil. I had gone into Daredevil probably when I was like 14, 15 or so, buying the Daredevil Visionaries by Frank Miller. Then I read Born Again. Uh, then, um, I don't know at what point I actually read Guardian Devil, uh, but I got in and really enjoyed them. It was probably around the same time that I was that Underboss was coming out because I love the Daredevil by Brian Michael Bendis. And then you have this, um, and that could be slightly off in some of the timelines. But uh, the minute this came out, I just the book felt different. I, from what I recall, it had a, a thicker cardstock cover, or at least not your standard cover. Um, it felt like an event. Again, the artwork is absolutely gorgeous. The level of detail that ex- is expressed is just something something else. Um, tell such an emotionally rich story. Uh, the use of shadows, use of colors. Um, again, this was this to me was just incredible. There was a, a shot. I'm, I'm looking at the trade paperback. I have. There've been many of them published over the years. This one was the Marvel Legends version. So it just says Daredevil Legends on the spine, number one, Daredevil Yellow. Um, and there's a, a shot just after. I guess um, you have. Um, Murdoch's dad gets shot and Murdoch kind of wakes up and he realizes something's wrong and him and Foggy are in their apartment and he just kind of takes off and they flip the page and there's this beautiful shot of um, and there's these three um, long kind of vertical panels and you have like the um, a fire escape leading down to a to um, a sidewalk and you just have this beautiful shot of, of Matt jumping down and he's wearing like black pants with like a white shirt and like a tie that's kind of half on and he just kind of billows up and just the color and the detail there on that shot has always stuck with me and then you have him kind of running down um, the street with the rest of the art and it's just gorgeous gorgeous stuff and um uh, there's just something to the color palette that's used throughout the book that it's it's kind of it's warm it's soft it's it feels like memory um it doesn't necessarily besides that one panel of you know the death of um or just after uh, jack's death for the most part most of the colors here are still relatively vibrant and feel of another era you know um time of innocence um and that's really what a lot of what this book is is that this beautiful you know, sense of innocence to these characters, and you have Daredevil really kind of first going into action, and there's some again magnificent, magnificent artwork of you know Daredevil fighting Electro, which is really engaging. Um, there's just something about how Sale captures Daredevil, both as Matt Murdock and as uh, Daredevil himself, and the emotion of between him and Karen Page, and again this whole sense of innocence. 
um, is really something special. Um, and so it's, it's a book I like to come back to. It's, uh, you know, it's a romance, um, even though the characters never really get together and it's all about what they could be at some point, but aren't. And, um, you know, and there's a bit of a love triangle here, which again, feels very kind of of the age, but it really works. And the purple man's here back before everyone learned to be super scared of the purple man after. I mean, I feel like once Brian Michael Bendis wrote Alias, no one would ever look at a purple man the same way again. They haven't. But this is where, you know, Purple Man isn't quite as scary. He was he was always kind of a goofy villain, and it really wasn't till Brian Michael Bendis came on uh, and wrote him in Alias that everyone kind of learned to fear that character because he's terrifying um, in terms of how he can be written. But it's just at the time that's just not the way it was. Uh, the covers for this book again are absolutely gorgeous. Um, the the color sense. Um, the, just the design work, like just everything you see on it, like the first cover having you know a young, a young Matt with his dad and kind of the specter of Daredevil above them. Uh, the second one where you just have uh, Matt working on the heavy bag. Uh, the third one you have the idea that Nelson and Murdoch have opened up now and they're kind of going to business. Uh, the fourth one you have Matt kind of um, again with always with the specter of Daredevil above him, um, pleading his case in court. Then him on the steps uh, in book five, and then book six, him and Karen kind of walking along, and then again the red specter of Daredevil in the background. Uh, gorgeous, gorgeous artwork, um, an immensely entertaining story. I mean, if you haven't read Daredevil Yellow, Yellow you really do owe it to yourself to do so. Um, you know, it, it, it's not the most high action. There's, it, but it's got a beating heart. Uh, it's about the emotions of this character, uh, and it's really nice to kind of see him become Daredevil. Like this, it's interesting too because. You know, a lot of people's interpretations of Daredevil, I mean, if you watch the Netflix uh, television series, it's a very dark character. But this is before before the darkness, you know? This is back before everything was dark. I mean, it starts off, obviously, with a dark tragedy, but a lot of this is about excitement and this newfound glory and this newfound excitement of being Daredevil, being a hero, uh, taking his gifts and, and really making the best for it. And uh, it's before everything was so dark and and scary. And uh, that's really compelling. Um, again, it's, it's a Daredevil that we're not really used to seeing. I mean... More often than not, ever since uh, Frank Miller, everyone's kind of tried to do variations on a dark Daredevil. Um, some have done really well, some haven't. Um, you know, again, during the period this was said or this was written, um, you know, you had Brian Michael Bendis doing an amazing crime noir version of Daredevil, uh, which really worked. It was really, really modern and felt really exciting and took the character in exciting new directions, uh, or especially the Kingpin in especially new directions, and kind of shook things up. And uh, it just, and you know, for a long time, it that was the status quo was because of Bendis and then you had uh, Ed Brubaker come on and again just took took uh, everything that he that Bendis had built and you know continued to do amazing work with it so it's just been so thrilling to see how these things have kind of all come after each other and really developed and um yeah, and, and again, this is a time where uh, I'm a big softie inside. So having this, you know, this beautiful romantic story um, about you know how you know the first beginnings of of love, or not even love, but just genuine affection and, and fondness, and this the idea of this this classic triumvirate, this this trio of Karen, Foggy, and Matt, which really hasn't existed in this form for forever. Like it's you know like once you had Born Again, like they weren't operating, they weren't really. You know, Foggy was in the book, but not really that much. And then again, Matt, Matt was brought into all sorts of crazy things in the Nascenti run, where he wasn't really, you know, being the standard Daredevil we or Matt Murdock that we know. So 
in terms of having the kind of the classic trio, didn't really exist in in many ways for that much of time. But it's been sort of immortalized in kind of our minds and our memories, and that we definitely saw that here. Uh, it's interesting too if you go back and read the Frank Miller run; like you do not see a lot of the characters that we think of um, as being kind of the classic Daredevil characters. We see a lot of characters like Heather Glenn, and if you read Born Again, you have Gloriana O'Brien, and most people are like, who the hell are they? Um, because there's just something about that core idea of it being Karen. And, again, people rehabilitated Karen and made her more usable as a character and, again, brought back that relationship. And even when Bendis had uh, Mila Donovan, there was always that, that the specter of Karen existed because the idea that did Daredevil kind of lose his mind after losing Karen? What did that mean? Anyways, uh, thank you for listening to the Prattlings of a Madman uh, as we talk about a flashback of um, this, again, this beautiful and gorgeous book, and I really do recommend that people pick it up and read it. It's it's uh, an immense read. It's, again, beautiful, beautiful artwork. Um, it's visually stunning. I believe it's coming out in a, in a new omnibus format, uh, which collects all the color books. Um, I think I own them all in soft covers. I probably won't end up getting the, the, the larger hardcover, but they are you know phenomenal books. Uh, I, I would say Spider-Man's probably my favorite, and then Daredevil, um, and then probably Cap, and then Hulk. Um, but they're, they're, again, very entertaining books, and I can't recommend them enough. Thank you for listening to this episode. You can reach me at comicshenanigans at gmail.com. Like the show on Facebook, rate and review us on iTunes, subscribe to us on iTunes, and also listen to us on Stitcher. Our, uh, our next non-reviews episode, which I guess would be, what, episode 620, will be a conversation with none other than Mark Wade. Yeah, that's right, Mark Wade, as well. We'll be sitting down to exclusively talk about the uh, the cross-gen classic Ruse. He wrote the first year of that book, so we sit down to have a chat about it, and I, I think you're really going to enjoy the book. It was uh, immensely entertaining to talk to him about it. Um, I was a huge fan of the book when it first came out. At one point, at some day in the future, I'll talk about cross-gen, but um, that was a, a really big thing for me, and I've slowly been checking off a, you know, a kind of an imaginary list of the different creators who have um, you know, written books for Caution or illustrated books for Caution that I've gotten to chat with. Um, I, you know, I got to speak with Barbara Kiesel. I got to speak with Ron Mars. I got to speak with Mark Wade. I've spoken with Mike Perkins. I'm going to assume we're talking with Mike Perkins and Butch Geis about their work on Ruse. So um, it's been an immense thrill to be able to talk to people about you know these books that I really loved. I mean, again, at some point I'll do an actual Caution comics episode. But you know, when Caution first came out, I was 16 years old, and uh, I was just it was so exciting uh, to me to be able to you know be at the the four you know at the beginning of a whole new universe and it had everything was a, so it's different genres like you had fantasy and sci-fi and it just it wasn't the same superhero stuff you were getting uh and there were gorgeous books some of them some amazing talent that you know some talent had already existed but it hadn't really gotten the same level of appreciation and development that cross was able to do and then the people that came out of there were amazing uh so that'll be a future focus episode just to talk about cross it's such an amazing period um, that it's unfortunate that most of that material will never be reprinted again. Um, and it just kind of exists as IP that happened and is owned by Disney and will probably never be actioned or optioned. And uh, it's very sad, but uh, I got to talk with Mark about his work on Ruse and a little bit on, about his work on Crocs at the same time. But um, So that'll be coming up in just a few days. Actually, this will be uh, three episodes in a row, or three days in a row of Comic Shenanigans. So uh, today you have this this uh, flashback to uh, Daredevil Yellow, tomorrow you have a Reviews episode, and the next day you have Mark Wade. So it's got pretty good stretch of books or uh, sorry of episodes so thanks again for joining me you can catch us next time bye bye